This is the God in All Things podcast, rooted in Ignatian spirituality and seeking the presence of God in the everyday. Here's Andy Otto. This week's God in All Things is special. If you haven't watched the Lifetime docuseries, The Sisterhood, which debuted last November, it's a reality series about five young women discerning religious life. For six weeks, the five women visit three different convents. They get a taste of a variety of charisms, ministries, and the challenges of community life. Joining me today is Stacy Jackson, one of the young women on the show. She's 26 years old and studied musical theater and theology at the Catholic University of America. Stacy is the second of eight children, and her family lives in Virginia. She currently resides in a lay intentional community and current seminary on Long Island in New York called Domus Portafide, operated by the Archdiocese of Rockville Center. It was created as a response to the new evangelization and an effort to reach out to young people. Stacy's experience in the performing arts has been a real influence on her faith and where she finds God. Stacy, welcome. Thank you so much, Andy. It's so nice to speak with you. <laughs> so um, before the before the show, before Sisterhood, um, had you felt um, a calling to religious life? How did how did how did that develop for you? Well, when I was really little, um, I always wanted to be like Saint Therese of Lisieux. I had this great big coffee table book that my mom uh, put out, and I would just look through that, and she was just my heroine. You know, she would. Um, I wanted to be just like her, and I told my grandma that when I was about 10 that I wanted to be a Carmelite nun. Um, and then as I continued to get older, um, kind of my own dreams sort of took over. Um, I fell in love with theater. I started really pursuing musical theater, and that was my goal, my focus. Um, and that really became, you know, the the thing that I was most, uh, that I was pursuing most passionately. I wasn't pursuing God's will for me as much. Um, And then uh, I was out on a national tour. I was on the Wizard of Oz, and that's a very surprising place for for your faith to deepen, but it did for me. So um, I started to rediscover and reinvest in my faith in a new way while traveling across the United States and Canada performing in a different venue every night, which is, uh, you know, just shows you God can use anything. (laughs) So... uh, Yeah, so after that, my faith kept growing and growing to the point where then I was starting to go to daily mass, and um, then I went to daily mass every day, you know, and and, um, really started to understand how beautiful community is. Mm -hmm. And then I was led uh, eventually to discover my current young adult community where I'm living um, at an old seminary. It's called uh, Domus Porta Fide, and we have the luxury of having three priests in the building who say mass for us every day, which is amazing. We can go to one of four chapels that are in the building. And very shortly after I moved there, I started to discern because I realized how wonderful and necessary community is for your spiritual life. And, uh, you know, I realized I'd never really given God a chance to to tell me what he wanted for my life instead of me telling him what I want and trying to to fit in, you know, his will amongst, you know, my preconceived notions of what I was going to do with my life. I found it um, interesting in our uh, email communication, um, mm-hmm. you spoke about a, a kind of a loneliness on the mm-hmm. road when you were doing this national tour. Definitely. Tell me more about the lo- that loneliness and, and how that um, sure. aided in your discernment at all. Sure. Well, actually, um, I, so I did two national tours. The first one was the Wizard of Oz, and I was blessed with a very wonderful 
Catholic friend um, who helped me rediscover my faith and really understand what it was like to read the Bible. Uh, then I moved to New York and fast forward two years, booked the Beauty and the Beast national tour. So that was the tour where I really experienced the loneliness because there was no one to go to mass with me. So I went every week by myself and more often if I could for 11 months. So 11 months of being alone in your faith, you know, physically removed and not able to find people who are, um, who are with you in that was really, really hard for me. Uh, we barely ever got days off. And, uh, and I think God really used that loneliness to bring me closer to him because when I got back, um, you know, I became what I call a community junkie <laughs> where I just couldn't get enough of being with people who shared my faith and realizing the value of that. Um, so yeah, I, I think that God really, um, really drew me in through sort of those months of, of loneliness. And, you know, and I noticed that when I was by myself and just trying to, you know, go to mass and sort of maintain my spirituality, I really, you can't do it alone. I, mm. I tried and, you know, I just noticed that my, my faith kind of uh, started to decline. You know, I was backsliding. I found myself getting into bad habits and so forth. Um, not to say that the people I was with were were terrible or anything like that. Um, it's just that the when you get you know thirty actors together living together on a bus, you know it, it creates a lot of um, there's tensions and and if you don't have that sort of spirituality to help to help everyone sort of pull themselves out of themselves, you know, um, then then it can become quite uh, quite destructive to your your spirit. Uh, spiritual life. You know, it's it's great that you talk about the the tensions, um, and and clearly, I think you you probably experience that right now in in your own intentional community life. Um, mm-hmm. There was a uh, a great scene in the second episode of the Sisterhood, yes. <laughs> um, sort of a conf- confrontational scene between Claire and and you and yes. the other discerners, mm. and at least the editing seemed to make it out that. You know, Claire was kind of a bit on a high horse, um, perhaps feeling she was maybe further along in her discernment or more spiritually advanced than the others. And um, you said this great thing. You said, that's the beauty of the Catholic Church. It's a hospital for sinners, not a museum of saints. And that I think that's hard for people to accept, you know, how did how did you get to that place? I mean, I think it's easier for us to. just assume we're right and everyone else is wrong, especially in matters of the faith. Sure. Well, gosh, it's been such a journey for me. I think I think that realization came from a place of acknowledging my own imperfections and my own sins, because I went through years of you know um, s- still calling myself Catholic and going to mass every Sunday, but really beyond that, I didn't invest in my faith at all. I was really lukewarm, and I you know. I allowed myself to be more wooed by the world than by Christ's love. And so I think it's just so real to me how sinful I am and how much I've fallen and stumbled, you know, that um, I think it's kind of helped me uh, to understand that, you know, no matter how bad a person is, God still loves them. And no matter how backwards their life may be, you know, God still wants them and desires them. I moved to New York and uh, I, I worked and, you know, lived on the road with all these people who either used to have faith or never did have faith. 
And um, I think seeing the goodness in them and seeing how God still works through them. And there's some people who are very good friends of mine who aren't Catholic. And I call them, you know, I, I tell them, I say, I think you're a better Catholic than a lot of Catholics that I know, mm-hmm. just because that, that goodness can still be in you, even if you don't go to Mass every Sunday, even if you don't, you know, uh, submit yourself to these teachings or, or you know, um, really believe in, you know, what you call a God or anything like that. So, so I think that recognizing that and starting from that place of trying to understand everyone and continuing to seek to understand is so important because if you judge someone right off the bat, why would they ever want to listen to you? Why would they ever want to hear what you have to say? You know, mm-hmm. I could imagine yeah. being in the performing arts as you are, um, cause you not only act and dance, but you sing as well. Right. I do. Um, it's, it seems like that as far as where you find God in that, you're, you're finding a God in the good, like the goodness of the people around yes. you. Um, Definitely. what, what else, like where else, um, say more about that. I'm curious as, mm. you know, as far as, um, even the, your art itself. Um, and I know you also, um, make miniature dolls too. I which do. Is, I got do. a little bit of a, a, um, preview of that on the show, I think. Um, Definitely. yeah. Talk more about that and like how you find God and how you connect with God through your art. Oh my gosh. It's, it's really the Holy spirit. Um, I remember waking up one morning and I kind of had this breakthrough. I was like, Oh man, thank God the Holy spirit is here because you know, when I, when I perform, when I sing, that's what, that's the creativity. You know, I can't even call it mine. It's him coming through me. And, you know, and I just kind of had this realization. I was like, Oh man, it's all him, (laughs) you know? And, uh, actually there's this, this ancient, um, notion of genius, not being something that, um, a person can attribute to themselves, but if the genius is with you, you know, it's something outside of yourself. So when, when a performer was, you know, incredibly successful and they had a a moment of just pure brilliance on stage, people would stand up and applaud and say that was God there on stage. You know, the genius was with this person. Hmm. And so that's very much the way I see, um, performance and art is, you know, it's the Holy Spirit working through you and inspiring you. And it's really important to just be open to that and to not judge that, um, not judge that creative spirit because it's not even you. It's something coming in through you, you know, as for my sculpting, um, even the process itself is, is a really beautiful, uh, way of bringing me closer to Christ. Um, while I was on the show, I actually made a crucifix and, um, and I, it occurred to me one day why I love uh, sculpting Christ so much is because, you know, I'm a very, I'm a doer. You know, I love doing things. I, I, I'm very visual as well. I, you know, I like seeing, seeing things. And I realized that, you know, I, I received Christ in Holy Communion, but sculpting him was felt even closer to being able to actually touch his face and to actually, you know, see him in a physical form. And I realized that, you know, this is the closest I'll ever be to doing that in this life. Um, so it was very meditative. It really, um, I would pray, I do pray as I sculpt, um, you know, as I draw whatever I'm doing. So, um, and I know that that's a way that God reaches me. So for all of us right brain people out there, you know, God loves to reach us through our, through our expressions of creativity. Yeah, and that's such a that's the sacramental imagination of Catholicism is Absolutely. is that we can experience God very physically, you know, through just you know, like your your image of touching Jesus on the cross. 
Definitely. And, you know, it's it's such a misconception of people who don't know about Catholicism. Um, a lot of them that I've talked to think that the church is there to sort of stifle your creativity, to sort of make you conform to being one particular way and that you're not allowed to be any other way. When in reality, the most vibrant and, you know, the people who I know whose faith is most alive are also the people who are the most creative often. You know, if they if they are moved by the Holy Spirit, they will draw, they will sculpt, they will make music, you know, and, and do it joyfully and so expressively. And I love that, that that is a true, you know, manifestation of your faith is that the church doesn't want us all to be cookie cutters. You know, actually, mm -hmm. I think, uh, I think Sister Marie Therese actually said that on the show, you know, we want women who are themselves. We don't want women who are cookie cutters. And, and you even said on the show, like the church accepts everyone. We love yes. everyone. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yes, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, and that and that is like such a that's just such a beautiful thing to me, you know. Like literally everyone blows mm -hmm. my mind. That's who we want. That's who Christ wants. And so that's who we have to want as well. So I want to just go a little bit back to your own discernment. Um most people, uh, you know, initiate the discernment through reaching out to someone they know, perhaps a religious or a particular religious order. Um mm -hmm. what what led you to the show as uh, a particular um, means to discernment, um, or had you maybe taken a more traditional route before? Uh, well, I I heard about the show through my friend, uh, who ironically is an atheist, <laughs> but she and I have great discussions about religion, and she we very much respect one another, and um, she knows how much my faith means to me. So she keeps up with sort of all the, the buzz on what's happening in TV shows and stuff, um, and I had never auditioned for television before. Um, I'd always kind of said, like, oh, well, you know, I'm a stage actress, and, you know, if, if TV is ever a thing that happens, it's going to have to, like, come to me because I don't, I'm not going to reach out for that. So she actually just kind of threw this thing my way. Uh, she's like, you should, you know, submit for this. You'd be perfect for it. And I was like, okay, why not? It's Tuesday. And uh, it took about six months for everything to develop and for me to actually find out that, that I um, was going to be a part of the show. And from there, it was actually its own process of discernment apart from my actual discernment to do the show because, of course, I had tons of questions. Um, I wanted to make sure that they were going to portray the faith well, that they were going to portray the sisters well. Um, and I think they did, in the end, do a really good job with that. Um, as for my own discernment, I wanted to make sure that I got an off-camera experience because there were a lot of unknowns with the show. Um, so I went and discerned with the Little Sisters of the Poor in Queens and discovered, quite to my surprise, that I actually love working with old people. And um, so I visited the Little Sisters, I think, about three times before, uh, before the show began. And um, in addition to that, I was going to Mass every day, uh, making a holy hour every day. And I started praying this prayer, Surrender, which I'd never done before and which was definitely the most terrifying thing I'd ever done in my life because it's almost like a litany. You go through and you just surrender one by one all these things to God, you know, my, my passions, my hopes, my fears, my past my desires, my relationships, everything in your life. And if you say it slowly and intentionally, and there's anything that you're holding back, you're going to feel that reaction. You know, you're going to feel that, um, that tension, uh, as you pray. And so then of course it's, it's another whole process to sort of surrender that particular thing that you want to hold on to. So I made myself pray that every day and it did get easier Praise God. <laughs> you know, the more you do it, the more you get used to it, and the more you understand that he's going to give you back so much more than you could ever have imagined. Um, so that was kind of the route that I took 
in, in discernment. Also, um, reading a lot of books about the spiritual life, um, reading biographies um, of great saints was very helpful. And also, uh, it mentions on the show that I read the biography of Mother Dolores Hart. She is fantastic. She's very much like me. I really related to her because we're both very artistic. And I was amazed by how she brought her vocation as an artist into her vocation as a sister. So all of those things kind of, you know, uh, led me to to the show. So it's it seems that it seems that you um, certainly did some of your own discerning outside the show because I think one of the things, you know, I used to be a Jesuit and I remember the complexity of discernment, you know, the time mm-hmm. it takes, the prayer, you know, meeting with the spiritual director. Um, so, I, you know, one of the things I kept thinking about myself was, you know, it seemed a bit maybe premature to make a decision after just two weeks in each convent, you know. Yes. Now, clearly at the end of the show, we saw that, you know, each each of you women made some sort of decision. Mm-hmm. Um, but discernment, you know, clearly takes a while. Did you did you feel that the, the show in and of itself, and I, and I don't know the others' um, experiences, but Mm-hmm. that the show in and of itself was a, a good, authentic discernment process? Did mm-hmm. did you feel any pressure to make any kind of decision by the end? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, a lot of people have been asking me that. Um, and I'm glad you asked because I think some people assume that, you know, um, that the six weeks is too short, which it is. And it was great that the producers didn't put any pressure on us. You know, they, they just told us, okay, we want to know where you are in your journey. You don't have to decide yes or no. Um, maybe you need more time. That's totally okay. They said, we just want this to be a slice of your discernment. And we, we want to show the process, you know, it doesn't matter so much, uh, you know, cause they recognize this is our lives, you know? So, so they don't, they didn't expect us to actually make a decision one way or the other after six weeks, which was very good. And, and I was very, um, grateful that they didn't put that pressure on us. Um, for the, the other part of your question, I did feel that it was an authentic discernment experience for me. I prayed so much beforehand um, to have the grace to not, you know, parade in front of the camera or sort of, you know, be dramatic for the TV show or anything like that. Um, And, you know, I really think that grace is given where grace is needed because I certainly got so much, just, just an absolute ton. Um, And, and I'm so grateful for that. And we also had, uh, you know, the fact that we were working with the sisters was fantastic. They really, you know, kept everything, um, really real. And, you know, they made sure that it was an authentic experience for us. Um, for example, we had mass every morning and we prayed the office and we had a holy hour with the sisters before the cameras even got there. Hmm. And that was such a necessary time for me, you know? Um, and then we would also pray after they left. (laughs) Um, Christy and I would often kind of like sneak to the chapel late at night, like, you know, sit in there and pray. Um, it, I really did feel that it was an authentic experience. My faith life actually changed as a result of the show. And I actually had some of the best prayer experiences of my life. Um, I really experienced Christ in a new way that I never had before. And now, you know, f- five months later, uh, more than that, actually, about five and a half months later, to be, you know, to have given myself to him and continue to do that, um, and to feel called to marriage, you know, I feel more secure in that now than I ever did before. Now that I've discerned, now that I've given myself over to that, you know, so, so it's, it's really good. It's, um, just such a blessing, everything. So you've, you've also discerned for marriage. I have at this point. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, Do you feel comfortable saying where you're feeling called now? I mean, I know you, you eventually decided to stay in New York for the meantime. That's right. 
Yes. Um, well, you know, God works in all kinds of mysterious ways. So after the show, uh, at, or as the show was ending, I was feeling called to go to the Daughters of St. Mary of Providence to continue my discernment as a postulant there. Um, however, I went back to New York and felt such a sense of peace there. And, um, you know, that was very confusing to me because I was supposed to go to this convent, you know. Um, but with more prayer um, and more discernment about, let's see, it took me about three months to kind of, you know, formally discern that, that I wasn't being called to the convent. Um, I, I just felt that um, I needed to go. But when it came down to it, you know, did I actually want to go, you know, in my heart of hearts? And I, I kind of felt this unrest about that. And then I found myself thinking, oh, well, maybe I should go to the convent, you know, so that I can discern out and come back to New York. I thought, well, you don't you don't go to the convent to discern out. You go to the convent because you think you're called to the convent, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And so then I kept praying and kept praying um, and kept saying, you know, Lord, please just change my desires, change my heart if this is where you want me. And he, you know, gave that desire for marriage right back to me. And so I'm, you know, even more joyful about it and excited about it now um, because I really feel that that that's what he's calling me to, you know, as opposed to me just deciding that I want this, you know. So it's it's really beautiful. And uh, for the time being, I'm in New York, and I actually got a call from Sister Peter from the show. Uh, I don't know if you remember her, but she's the one who said, um, Carmelite women look so good for their age because they know how to take care of themselves. Yes. Don't put that in there. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Sister Peter. So she actually called me uh, just a few days after the show finished airing, and she offered me a job with the Carmelites. Wow. So I'm starting next week. I'll be working with them. I'll be living in Huntington, but then also traveling up to, to Germantown mm-hmm. uh, where they live. And uh, I'll be helping her at the Avila Institute, which institutes programs in different nursing homes to help people with dementia access their memories longer and helps with sort of uh, general end-of-life care in, in all sorts of different areas. So, Well, that um, scene when you went to uh, St. Patrick's Manor in Framingham, Massachusetts, which is where mm-hmm. I grew up, um, oh. that seemed to be a powerful experience for you. It really was. Yeah, it really was. And at the time I walked away thinking, you know, I don't know if I could do this. I don't I don't know if I could form relationships with people who are about to leave this life, you know, feel like, you know, losing my grandparents all over again. And, uh, you know, I walked away from it with kind of this fear, but also with this, this awe and this, um, this realization that, you know, I think it would be difficult to lose these people because I do care about them so much, you know, and, and the, um, with the little sisters of the poor, same thing. I formed relationships with, uh, with the people at the nursing home and I just, I just fell in love with them. And even after the show, I've continued to go and visit a nursing home every week and, and, you know, form friendships with the people who don't have many people to come visit them. I really just, I love it. And, you know, the, I think the, this sort of the sacrifice of losing them would still be just, you know, such a small minuscule part of the whole picture, you know, and, and, uh, overall it would be such an honor to, to serve them and to get to know them and hear their stories because they have so much wisdom to offer. Well, one of the things of Ignatian spirituality, um, and, and I talk about this a lot is, um, our gifts and talents that, that, mm. you know, you very unique gifts and talents that God gives us. Mm-hmm. And it just sounds like you've been discovering uh, sometimes maybe to your surprise, these, mm-hmm. these gifts that God has given to you. Um, that's so kind of true. forming a vocation. So true. And, you know, uh, one of the really beautiful things about this job that I have coming up is that it uses music 
Because if you have dementia, one of the ways that you can help access your memory longer is through music. And, uh, and so I'll be able to use that, you know, that creativity, um, and I'll be able to use my, my creative skills to, to help these people, which is so much more, you know, dignified than, um, you know, it's putting my talents to greater use than if I were to just sort of, you know, perform for my own glory, not to say that all performers are performing for their own glory. It's just that that's something that I tended toward at that time in my life when I, when my main focus was performing, you know? So I'm just, like you said, yeah, discovering sort of how to use these skills for God's glory. It's, it's really thrilling and exciting. It's certainly nothing that I could ever have, um, made up or, or planned for myself, which kind of goes hand in hand with this great thing that my, uh, a priest that I know told me in confession, he said, you know, God is an adventurer. Don't rob him of the joy of unfolding his plan before you step by step. And in that plan, there's going to be so many twists and turns and surprises. It really is an adventure. And you're, you're just, you're never going to be bored. That's for sure. And like you said, you know, you're going to discover new gifts and talents you never thought you had. So it's, it's really exciting. Now, um, one of the, one of the great things that I appreciated, um, about the sisterhood show was that, um, the five of you, um, there was really this diversity of spiritualities Mm -hmm. that you all had. How would you describe your spirituality? Latin mass. I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) My family does go to Latin mass every day. Uh, I'm sorry, every week. Um, And uh, Latin mass every day, that's intense. Um, They do go to Latin mass uh, every Sunday. And that's definitely kind of, I fall more towards the, you know, the very traditional side of of Catholicism. Um, That's how I was raised. And that's sort of like my, that's like home for me. You know, that's my, it's my comfort zone, if you will. Um, that being said, I came to really appreciate charismatic spirituality when I was on the Wizard of Oz national tour and sort of experienced this, you know, spiritual awakening or reconversion, whatever you want to call it. Uh, because my friend who I mentioned earlier, you know, really taught me how to read the Bible and apply it to my life and how to pray and be open to, to God moving me and the Holy Spirit moving me. And I'd never really encountered someone with a charismatic spirituality like that. You know, uh, the idea of speaking in tongues or, um, you know, being slain in the spirit was just very new to me. And I, you know, kind of had a gut reaction of like, Oh, that's weird. You know, this is why people think we're crazy, you know, but then the more I started to understand that kind of spirituality, the more I realized that, you know, God does use every part of our human experience to reach us. Um, so I, I've incorporated kind of more, more elements of, um, of the charismatic spirituality into my own, um, into my own spiritual life. Yeah. So I'm kind of an interesting combination because I, I come from this very, very conservative traditional background. You know, my family lives in the Arlington diocese. Um, and, uh, I went to a very, very conservative high school. I was homeschooled. However, when I moved to New York and then, you know, went on tour and so forth, um, a lot of my friends here uh, come from either slightly, you know, I don't want to say liberal background, but, you know, kind of. And uh, and they and everyone in New York comes from such a different place. You know, you have people from every continent in the world coming together in one city. So it's really helped me appreciate the vast, vast, vast human, you know, expression of spirituality um, and sort of. Uh, make connections with people who who have a spirituality that you know maybe I don't even understand but would like to learn more about. So, 
Yeah, you kind of hit on on uh, a, a big part of uh, Ignatian spirituality, where Saint Ignatius mm-hmm. says, you know, um, the Creator works with the creature, you know, in God's own way, you know, and 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 <laughs> touches people and uh, communicates with people in ways that that we know and that we that we uh, that makes sense to us, you know. Yeah, and I was even talking with a couple people. Um, I'm like going through this phase right now where I'm like fascinated with you know the personality types. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, and and so I was thinking about that and talking to one of the friends that I have here in my community and kind of realizing that God reaches people with different personality types, different ways. So, you know, if you don't have these, these visions, like, you know, like Christy did on the show, it doesn't mean that your spiritual life is not, you know, quote unquote working, or, you know, you're not, uh, you're not holy or anything like that. It might just be that you have a different sort that you respond differently to different types of things, you know, and, um, and it's kind of been neat to even sort of start to look at my friends and see the different ways that God reaches them. You know, for some people, um, they read a book and it's the reason, you know, it's the, the, um, uh, you know, the philosophy behind the book, like when things kind of click into place and make sense, you see some converts who are just converted by sort of the ration, the rationality behind, um, the, behind Catholicism and the philosophy behind it, you know, and then you, you see other people who are sort of received like a, you know, St. Paul experience conversion, you know, falling off of his horse, you know, where he's just like moved in a way, you know, God just reaches out and, you know, or, or people are reached through their emotions or whatever it is, you know, it's, it is amazing. God knows us so well and he can just kind of be like pinpoint, you know, well, this is the way that I'm going to reach this person. So, and, God, and that's neat because yeah. it's accessible to everyone, you know, no matter what your personality type. Yeah. yeah so cool. I like to ask people about their favorite thing about being Catholic. Um, mm. I once saw a taping of the Colbert Report uh, in New okay. York and in the Q&A before, before the beginning of the show, uh, we got to ask questions, and I asked him what was his favorite thing about being Catholic mm. was, and he said, forgiveness of sins. What's oh. your favorite thing about being Catholic? Oh, boy. Um, I have so many favorite things. These are a few of my favorite things. <laughs> you um, your performance oh. for us. <laughs> Thank you. That, was, that wasn't even on key. Oh, my gosh. <clears throat> um, but let's see. I do have a, I have a couple of favorite things. I think I love the fact that, um, our church is universal and that we are connected spiritually to people in ways that we don't even know. Um, it's kind of, that's immensely comforting to me to, to just have this vast universal experience, you know, of, of the creator. And if you like me, you know, if you've traveled and you go to different churches, um, you just see how it's the same mass everywhere you go, even though there's a million different ways, you know, you could be in a basilica or you could be in a tiny little church in North Dakota, you know, and when I was on tour, I would go to a different church every week and that actually became, or, or more multiple churches every week. And that became one of my favorite things about touring was just discovering the vast expression of this same spirituality and the same foundational truths. Um, so that's definitely one of my favorite things about becoming Catholic. I went to some tiny churches where there were like 12 people and then, you know, huge basilicas like the one in St. Louis, for example, which I think has more, um, let's see if I've got this right, more mosaics than any church in the world or something. Absolutely gorgeous, you know, experience. And you just realize that like God is so big and yet also so personal. So yeah. Forgiveness of sins is also a big one for me too. Like being able to just allow God to forgive you and then forgive yourself and move on. There's so much hope in that. 
What's your experience of being a woman in the church? Did, did that change at all with your time with the sisters? I think um, I, I recognized how, how powerful nuns actually are, you know, and um, there's a certain, there is, there's a real power that's with them, which I think a lot of people from, you know, the world's perspective kind of don't, uh, don't understand. So, you know, to, to be small and to be humble in the eyes of the world is to be great in the eyes of God. And the amount of good that these women are doing, even though to the world it seem, they seem so small, you know, once you really live with them and you, and you see their day-to-day life and the amount of good that they're accomplishing, it's formidable. It really is. And um, I think I started to understand how God, no matter who you are, God can fulfill the needs and desires of your heart, you know, and as a woman, I, I have these, these very, very deep desires for, for love, for validation. Um, you know, I, I, I need that. Um, I need to understand that I am worth loving and, you know, that I am lovely and, and not just in a physical sense at all, although, you know, for a lot of women, they struggle with that, myself included, um, certainly more in the past than now, but it's an ongoing thing, you know, but to know that you are lovely and that you are loved. And I think, um, living with the sisters, I, I could see kind of in a, on a day-to-day basis, just how fulfilled they were in that, how God really was able to reach them and fulfill them in a way that was just unmistakable. You know, they were so joyful. And then with that joy, they're able to give back to others, you know, so they don't, they don't suck the life out of people, you know, they're giving all the time and you're like, where does this come from? (laughs) You know, they seem like these, uh, you know, like these deep wells of just, you know, joy and, and happiness, you know, and they're just kind of spewing it all over the place. And you're like, who are you? You know? So I think it was, um, the way that it, the being with the sisters affected me was just understanding, you know, I am loved and, and Christ can fulfill all those deepest desires. And that's something that's so, so countercultural because people are, you know, the world is telling you, oh, you know, you need to be going out and, you know, you know, you need to go have sex with all these different people so that, you know, you can, you know, be, you can be a player, you can be, you know, um, top of your game, whatever the, whatever, however it all is, you know, you'll, you'll feel good if you can, can get somebody to validate you through, you know, through sex or attention or whatever it is. And, um, you know, learning that that's actually, you're seeking for it in the wrong place if you're looking for that, you know, and that, that Christ really is the only thing that can validate that and that he will and that he does validate you in that way. It's like just beautiful. And, um, you know, it's, it's such a beautiful journey. It's really, really cool. (laughs) Well, Stacey, thanks for spending time with us today. It was absolutely my pleasure. Um, Great to talk to you, Andy. Thank you so much. To see the six-episode series of The Sisterhood on Lifetime, and for more information on the lay intentional community Stacey is a part of, as well as a link to Stacey's very impressive doll-making business, visit the post that companions this podcast at godinallthings.com.